Okay, guys, we're in First uh, Peter. This is our second to the last sermon in the book of First Peter, so we will finish First Peter next week. So if you'll uh, if you'll stand, we're going to read two verses today, and we're going to look at two verses today. First Peter, chapter five, verses eight and nine. I'm gonna I'm gonna back up just a little bit and read verses six and seven too. Actually, the, the, the last part of verse 5. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit, <clears throat> be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You guys can be seated. So today we're talking about, the title of the message is Our Adversary. We're talking about the devil today. And I think anytime you guys are probably familiar with this, that, uh, that, that you've probably heard, heard people discuss the, the devil or maybe even, maybe have even done it yourself at some point in your Christian life. Um, what, what I mean by that is we need to have balance when we talk about the devil. You've probably heard everything under the sun when it comes to who the devil is and, and how we should fight against him. I think we need to, and I've mentioned that several times, that dealing with any doctrine in the Bible, there's a balance, a healthy balance. And the same would be with this doctrine of, of the devil. Um, you know, you can be, on one hand, you can believe that the devil's nothing to worry about. Um, you know, he really doesn't have much to do with our life. And, and, really, and really foolishly ignore uh, the spirits of darkness that are that are real, and then you can be on the other side and everywhere in between. But you could be on the other side of, you know, thinking the devil's in everything. You stub your toe, no, it was the devil, and uh, you know you get a sniffle, well, it was the devil. And so, hopefully, we can we can bring a little balance to the conversation today because obviously it's a very very the devil. It's an it's a very important topic that we that we know who our enemy is. And obviously, this is not going to be an exhaustive sermon on who the adversary is, but but hopefully, we can we can see a little bit of um, the the ways that he acts and what we need to be on guard against. <clears throat> I thought it would be a good time to, like I've read, you know, many times when it's applicable, I would I, I have in the past, and I will continue to do so. Read out of our confession of faith, and this morning. Um, I'm, I'm reading out of, I will do it three different times, one at the beginning, and one in the middle, and one towards the end of the message. I'm going to read a portion out of our, uh, out of our doctrinal statement on the devil, because I think it's very applicable to this sermon. But really, kind of going along with what I just said about having a proper understanding of maybe a balance, a healthy balance, at the beginning of the, uh, the paragraph in the uh, doctrinal statement for our church, it says this, the fallen angel known as Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the deceiver, the dragon, the serpent of old, is not an allegory. Because you'll, you'll hear people say that. It's not an allegory, not a metaphor, or a symbol for evil. No, he is a created being. But we must remember that, and I'll speak more about that later. He is a created being, right? He's not on equal par with God. He is a created being spoken into existence by God during the six days of creation. In accordance with God's will, or, or in accordance with God's all wise divine will and perfect providential outworkings of all things, God allowed Lucifer to rebel and one third of the angels uh, into rebellion with him. Thus they became the devil and his demons. 
And so we will talk about that more. Um, about how, you know, when we're talking about the devil, we're talking about Satan in this message, that Satan himself is probably not going to personally attack you, but he's got a legion of demons. And so it's the kingdom of darkness. So when we're talking about the devil roaring around, we will discuss it more, that he's not omnipresent, he can only be in one place at one time, but he has an army of demons. So that's why these passages are applicable. It's the kingdom of darkness. In other words, it's not dualism, right? It's not You don't have God and the devil on equal terms and wondering who's going to win at the end. Uh, the, the, the words in the... In the song that, that we sang, the mighty fortress, one word, what was the one word shall fail him at the end. It's going to take one word of Christ and he will be destroyed, cast into the lake of fire forever. But while we're here on this earth, he is a very strong and formidable adversary, which we will see. And so last week, just by way of review, real quickly. If you guys remember, the main point of the sermon last week was be like Christ and not like the devil, right? Be like Christ and not like the devil. And we, and we talked about that, that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment, the perfect one who had perfect humility, right? So when, we're, when we demonstrate and we walk in humility, we are being like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But when we become proud and we become arrogant... We are being more like the devil. And so last week it was be like Christ, not like, the de- not like the devil. Today we will discuss, the main point today I guess you could say would be how to have victory over the devil. How to have victory over the devil. And so we'll look at four things today in our two verses. Four points today. And the first one is this in verse 8. The first part of verse 8. And it's this, we need to be spiritually disciplined, okay? We need to be spiritually disciplined. And in verse 8, it says this, Peter says this, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. So let's ask that question. Why do we need to be sober of spirit and why do we need to be alert? Well, he, he tells us, it'll be in our next point, because of your adversary. Because of the adversary that is real that we read about. Who is a real adversary who hates you. Who hates us. So Peter tells us that we need to be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Be spiritually disciplined. It's not the first time he's used this phrase, be of sober spirit. In in chapter 1 verse 13, he used it. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then just in the last chapter, chapter 4 verse 7, he uses it again. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So the idea is, in these verses, he wanted us to have an alertness. He wanted his readers to have an alertness. Since the end is near, it's close at hand. You know, I've said this before, and as we've gone through 1 Peter, and we joke around about eschatology in this church, I'm glad we can have, uh, you know, I'm glad we can have disagreements, and I'm glad we can... And not take ourselves too seriously and, and, and learn from one another. But what I see in the scriptures in First Peter is the writers in the Bible were anticipating Christ, anticipating the end. The, it's to be ready, in other words. That's what this language is. It's the same language that he was using in these verses as he's using here with the enemy. That we need to be aware, we need to be alert. The phrase means to have a a clear mind. To be of sober spirit means to have a clear mind, a a clear thinking. Obviously, unlike drunkenness, whether it's alcohol or mind-altering drugs, something something that is altering your mind, clouding your mind, this is having a clear mind. 
And the context here wouldn't be necessarily alcohol, but it's, it's not to be intoxicated by the appeal or the attractions of this world that can captivate your mind. It can, it can as my friend Jeff Rose says, put you in a spell. It's like, it just, just, people are in a spell. They're, they're not living in reality. When we, when we go and we preach the gospel to them, such an urgent message, and this world's got them captivated. You know, you, you just think about it. Think about the deceptions of the devil. You know, when we talk to people about Christ, and it's like we were discussing yesterday, that their mind is everywhere but where it needs to be. The fact that you are going to die and we have the solution and it's clear and understandable. But their mind is here and there. But, but, but Peter tells us as the people of God that you need to be sober of spirit. When we allow ourselves to indulge in these earthly pleasures, okay, we can, we can become spiritually lethargic. I hope you guys can understand what I, what I mean by, by experience. I hope you guys understand these things. Things that not only not are bad in and of themselves, but just things of the world. Things that, again, I want to stress that, not even bad in and of themselves, but things like TV, things like sports, hobbies. These things that bring us comfort and ease can at the same time breeds spiritual apathy in our life. It gets our focus off of Christ, off of the eternal, and onto the things of this world, and we just become numb spiritually. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Okay, good. <laughs> uh, so, so, so this phrase, it's another way to say it, it's an ordering and a balancing of the important issues of our life. Prioritizing your life. Again, spiritually disciplined. This requires discipline of the mind and of the body. Because sometimes, and there are times, guys, to just shut, there are times to, to, to just to rest and relax, obviously. I do that on Sunday evening. I call, I'm shutting my brain off, and I'm, I'm just enjoying something with my family, whether it's a TV show, and I'm just, I, 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 just, I just need the rest. But we gotta have a balance, okay? We gotta have a balance with anything. So much of the battle, guys, when we're talking, because what are we talking about? When we talk about dealing with the devil, we're talking about spiritual warfare, are we not? So much of the battle, okay, starts with what we're consistently filling our minds with. To be sober in spirit, we gotta be filling our minds with, with that which is good. With truth. I think Philippians 4.8 says it best. Whatever is true, okay? Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Amen? Dwell on these things. And we know... You could sum that up. Now, there's a lot of things that are, that, are, that are good and honorable. But above all, above all, would be the Word of God, would it not? We want to renew our minds with the Word of God. And so, so the time is short, guys. That's the point. The time is short. Even if it's not the return of Christ, your life is short. My life is short. We're going to be here today, guys. And before you know it, you're going to stand before Christ. It's going to be over. And so, we don't want to waste our life as believers in Christ. And so, the time is short and we have a real live enemy. I believe that's what Peter's trying to get us to see. Be sober in spirit. Think of an athlete, guys. You know, you think of an athlete, whether he's on a team or an individual sport. And there's a match. I think of more like a, a combat sport like, like the UFC or like boxing where you've got months to prepare for this fight and it's, and it's coming, right? It's upcoming. It's months away. Now it's weeks away. The time is short and they have a real live enemy. 
that they're going to do combat with. And they better be disciplined. They better use their time wisely. They better be they better they better focus their mind on being ready. And it's the same thing with us. Times infinity. We have a real enemy. And as we're going to see, he hates our guts. And he's not he's not staying still. He doesn't have it in cruise control. He's he hates us. So the next phrase and they're very very Similar. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. This is all under being spiritually disciplined. Be on the alert. Your version may say be watchful. Okay? Be spiritually watchful. Stay awake. Stay awake. Now, not like Juan and I did last night and Paul. We all said we're tired. We didn't sleep well. That's not what I mean. Sometimes I stay awake when I don't want to stay awake, Jamie. (laughs) No, this is spiritually. Stay awake. This is a little more outward than, than the previous phrase, be sober in spirit. In other words, watching, watching for things outside of you. Watching for sin. Watching for attacks of evil. To take heed so you're not overtaken by some destructive calamity from the outside. It would be, it would be like this, right? We live in Oklahoma. Tornado season's coming. Right? Have you ever, maybe you've been this guy, or maybe you know this guy, who you feel like you got to call them because there's a tornado headed for them and you just have a hunch that they haven't been paying attention. <laughs> and so it's to, it's to pay attention, right? To be aware of danger that may be coming. Pay attention to the weather forecast, guys. It's February, April will be here before you know it. So, so we have an inwardness be, to be sober of spirit. What, what, what we think about being disciplined in here and being disciplined, being aware of what's going on around us. Having an awareness. If we're going to have victory over our adversary, we have to be aware. Think about this, guys. Eve was deceived in a perfect environment in Eden. Perfect environment, and she was deceived by him, by the devil, by Satan. And she didn't come into this world with a sinful nature as well. And she was still deceived, guys. I say that to, just to say how much more are we susceptible to the devil? We have to be spiritually disciplined. We can be led to two quick points real quick, or before we move to our second point, Two, two examples, we can be led into error and we can be led into sin. In uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And the context of that is being led into error by false teachers. We can be easily led into error if we're not aware if we're not awake, if we're not paying attention, He can devour us, as we're going to speak about, through false teaching. We can be led astray. And then in Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, real quickly, we can be led into sin. Led into... uh, We have to stay awake. We have to be aware. Matthew 26, if you guys remember this, the last night that he was with his disciples, he was in the, the garden praying before he, before he was arrested. Matthew 26, 38. Then he said to them, his disciples, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And then verse 40 and 41. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men cannot even keep watch with me for one hour. And then verse 41, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have got to be spiritually disciplined, beloved, in our our lives. We've got to stay awake or we can be led astray. Okay? We can be led astray. We can fall into sin. We can't put it on 
We can't put it in neutral in the Christian life. We have to be advancing, intentionally advancing. So we need to be, the first thing we need to do against our adversary is be spiritually disciplined in our lives. Okay? The second thing, we need to know, you need to know your enemy. Okay? You need to know your enemy still in verse 8. Verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Know your enemy, the devil, meaning the slanderer, the deceiver, the accuser. The accuser. That phrase accuser means to strike through or to stab. And he is an accuser in different ways, guys. The devil is an accuser of men to God and of God to men. And if you guys remember Job, in Job chapter 1, verse 11, we see this. We see an example of him being an accuser of men to God. The devil says, or Satan says, to God, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. Touch, touch Job and all that he has. And he will surely curse you to his earth. He will surely curse you to your face. And so we see, we see, we see the devil. And there's, there's other instances where we can see him being the accuser of men to God. And so we we got to be careful of that, guys. Back to our um, really to our main point last week. We want to be like Christ and not like the devil. We got to be real careful when we go around accusing people of different things because we're not acting like Christ when we do that. He's also an accuser of God to men. Think back to the garden when he tempted Eve. Genesis three verses four and five. The serpent said to the woman. Okay, what, what did God say? If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Right? So don't disobey me. You're going to die. And what did He say? The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knew, or God knows that in the day you eat, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's accusing God of lying. He is an accuser is what He is. He is a liar and a deceiver. And we know this. I mean, if you've been a Christian very long and you've been in church very long, you know that the devil is a liar and a deceiver. But still, sadly, how often do we fall for his tricks? More so than we realize. How many relationships are destroyed because we forget who the real enemy is? And we attack and bite and devour one another when there's a crafty, lying snake who's behind it. We have to be aware. We've got to be aware. And then he uses the phrase, your adversary. The title of the message, our adversary. Your adversary, the devil. That's where we get the name Satan. Satan is a Hebrew name that means adversary. He is our adversary, our opponent, our enemy. He is the great adversary of Christ. And of all who are in Christ. We can see that back all the way in Genesis. In the covenant of grace, Genesis 3.15 that we read so often. We see this, this enmity, this adversary right here. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. You see that enmity language? There we see the adversary being spoken of all the way back in Genesis. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the hill. And it says of this adversary, who is Satan, the devil, 
Known as, again, we read the, the, the dragon, the deceiver, the prince of the power of the air, different names, the same created being, our adversary. It says, it says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In other words, guys, we're to be on the alert, like Peter told us. Why? Because the devil is on the prowl. If that's not a reason to be on the alert, what is? We have a real live adversary who is very powerful. We have to have a balance of how we view him. We need not fear him if we're in Christ, but we need not ignore him. But it, uh, in Job 1.7, we see this, this prowling, this roaming. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it, or walking around on it. So we see that again, he's he's present here on earth and he's roaming. He's somewhere today, but he's got a host of demons doing his bidding, doing his work. And so here in a moment, we're going to look at the fierceness of him. But first, I want to read another uh, middle section out of our doctrinal statement because he, it brings up some really good points that I wanted to hit on. The devil is powerful. We're going to see that more. The devil is powerful, but not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. Okay. Again, this is not dualism where the devil and Christ are equal. Okay, It's not like that. But he is powerful. He's wise for evil, but not omniscient. He's not all-knowing like God is. He's often present like a lion roaming to and fro, seeking to devour, but not omnipresent. He can be in one place at one time. The devil is a crafty tempter. Uh, the great deceiver. The father of lies. The accuser of the brethren. We saw that. And the greatest enemy of both God and man. And I will speak to that last part later towards the end. That Even those that the Bible refers to as the children of the devil, unbelievers... He hates you too. If you're an unbeliever, he hates your guts. He wants to see you burn in hell. He wants to see your life destroyed here on earth. He hates humanity because God created humanity. He hates everything that's precious to God. He's a liar, a deceiver, a, a crafty tempter, right? And something I didn't have in my notes, but that crafty temper it just brought to my mind an angel of light. He doesn't come at you with horns. He comes at you very appealing. The temptation, that's why it's called a temptation. If it wasn't tempting, it wouldn't be a temptation. So that's just a little bit about the devil. But really wanted to, you know, in our context today in this verse, just to know that he's not omnipresent like God. But he does lead a, an army. And we need to be aware of that. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us of that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, plural, against the powers, plural, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the, de the demonic realm. And all of, its, all of its rankings, I guess you could say, just like the angelic realm, that's where our battle's at. Okay? That's where our battle's at. And we defeat it. I'll refer to Ephesians 6 a few times. But we defeat it primarily with the truth of the Word of God. That's, where our, that's what we fight with. It says He prowls around like a roaring lion. The idea, guys, just look at the lion on the front of your, on the front of your bulletin. A lion we know is strong, Right? We think of a lion, we don't think of a little puny little lion. We think of a, a strong, fierce animal. Also in this sense, a very cruel animal. The devil is cruel. 
Have you guys ever heard a lion roar at the zoo? I don't remember when it was, you know, uh, raising kids and being at the zoo many times, but I remember one time, <laughs> I remember one time being at the other end of the zoo, and, and this the lion there, it wasn't even a big roar. He was just, and you could hear that all the way across the zoo. Just the, the depth of that, uh, you know, it was just powerful. And so I got to looking, I got to looking when I was preparing this message. Uh, and feel free to answer if you know the answer. Do you know how, do you know how, uh, how long or how far away that a lion, now this is in his environment, not like out here with traffic at a zoo, but in his environment, anybody take a guess at how long that supposedly, how long away, how far away you could hear a, a male lion roar? Somebody, does anybody know? Five miles. Five miles. Five miles. And, and, and the guy was talking about, kind of like yesterday at the bus station, Josh, he was talking about the amplification, that as far as just actual, I don't know if he's saying decibel levels, but it's about as loud as a car horn, but it's because of the, it's because of the, um, the depth of it. it. It travels much further. And we were talking about it this morning. It's like thunder. You can hear thunder so far away just because of the, the depth of the volume, if I'm even making sense. But just that powerful, it's not just like a car horn that's just loud. This is more powerful. And if you've heard a lion at the zoo, you got a little bit of an idea of how loud that is. I just remember hearing him one day. He was just all the way across the zoo. And it was just like a little miniature roar. But that's just that's why he paints this picture. That's why the Lord paints this picture because he wants us to give us the idea that this is a formidable adversary, not to be ignored. And so I think in this context, we've got to keep the context of the letter, right? The context is suffering persecution. And so persecution may very well be the roar that Peter's talking about. He wants us to fear. Beloved, Satan wants you to fear. He wants you to live in fear. Fear of, fear of circumstances. Fear of what's going on in the world. Fear of persecution. Fear of the threat of man. And what, and what, are, we told, what are we told to over and over again in the Bible? We are commanded, it's an imperative, not to fear the threats of men. We're not to fear the threats of men. And He wants us to walk in fear. Revelation 12, verse 12. Woe to the earth, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. That's, that's pretty amazing to me, that the devil knows he has a short time. So somebody didn't make up that phrase. There it is in Scripture. The devil knows his time is short. Thomas Schreiner, in his commentary, says this about that truth, about this whole roaring. He says this, the roaring of the devil is the crazed anger of a defeated enemy. The roaring of the devil is the crazed anger of a defeated enemy. He knows his time is coming. We can see that in the Gospels. When Jesus would possess a man who was demon-possessed, what would they say? Son of God! Are you going to throw us in the pit before our time? So, so there's a knowledge there of their defeat. And it says, seeking that He is... He's, he's uh, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That word devour means to swallow up. Not a friendly word. To swallow you up. He wants to destroy you. The same word is used of the fish swallowing Jonah. That's what the devil desires. If he wasn't, as we'll see a little bit later in our, in our uh, doctrinal statement, if he, wasn't the God, if he wasn't God's devil, he would swallow us up. But he's God's devil. So in this context, I believe... 
And we'll talk about the different ways that He can devour us, but I, but I think Peter maybe in a specific context is referring to maybe Him devouring us, destroying us via apostasy. He wants to... So before I speak about that more, just some, just some ways that, that, that we know from Scripture that he, that he different ways that He desires to destroy us. He wants to destroy marriages and families. We know that. He hates anything that God loves, that God has instituted. He desires and puts His, his army of demons at work, I guess you could say, to destroy marriages and families. He will tempt you to sin. Now obviously this is talking to men and women. But I want to talk to men for a minute. He will tempt you to sin. He will tempt you in areas of sexual lust. Pornography. Which will lead to adultery. Can lead to adultery. Which can lead to divorce. Which can lead to fatherlessness. Which can lead to the family unit being obliterated. Destroys families. And then it has an effect, obviously, on churches and on culture. I mean, look at our culture. The fatherlessness. The sexual immorality. The abortion. It's all tied together. Satan, he came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So men, specifically, I'm speaking to you right now, men, fathers, Be alert. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. But I think the warning here may be more of apostasy. His desire is for those who name the name of Christ to fall away from the faith. And I think it was Thomas Schreiner that pointed that out. When you just look at the context of the letter, of the the suffering, the suffering, the reviling, the persecution... It just can, it, that's, that's what the suffering is primarily. Listen to Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. Matthew 13, this is the, the chapter of the different parables. 18 through 21. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Verse 20, The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy. So there's a profession of faith. They may walk with Christ for a while. And then verse 21, Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the Word, immediately he falls away. And I think that's what the devil desires. To see people fall away. To fall away from Christ. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this, Paul says this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. Why? paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And so, I just want to clarify real quick. A true apostate, which we, as human beings, don't have the knowledge to know who, who is a true apostate. Meaning, they've fallen away and there is no more hope for them. But a true apostate has been completely devoured by the devil. He is lost. He is the Judas. He has fallen away. He was never Christ to begin with. He may have thought He was, but that's a true apostate. But, even for true Christians who are born again, okay, we must be on the alert until the end. Until the end of your life. Until Christ comes back. Because the devil is seeking to destroy our faith. He's seeking to destroy our faith through temptation to sin, through false teaching, through fear of man, fear of persecution. 
He desires us to, to live a defeated, pathetic life, to turn away from the Lord, however you want to say it. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your witness. He can't take away your salvation, but He can take away your witness. He can, or He can destroy it. And He wants to stop our gospel proclamation. I mean, what happens when we, when we cave into the fear of man? We, we shut our mouths. What happens when we, when we yield to His wicked, crafty temptations? We can, we, can dest- we can destroy our witness. We can bring shame to the name of Christ. Shame to the cause of Christ. Because we have an enemy who hates us and who is, who is seeking to devour you individually and, and our families. And I would say He hates biblical churches. Hates them. And so that's, again, not an exhaustive message on who the enemy is, but to give us an idea of who he is. And so thirdly, we'll see, resist the enemy. So be spiritually disciplined, know the enemy. Third, resist the enemy in verse 9. But resist him firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. Listen to Ephesians 6.13. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist Him in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. That word resist, what we need to remember about this, guys, is it's not passive, okay? It's not a passive term, but it's active engagement against the enemy, against an enemy, whoever that enemy is. It's taking a stand against your enemy. And we'll see how we can do that in different ways. But basically, it's it's not remaining just inactive. It's to set oneself against. The same language, the same idea is seen in Galatians 2.11. When Paul confronted Cephas, or confronted Peter, for being a hypocrite, he was eating with the Gentiles, and then some Jewish leaders came in, and he uh, separated himself from the Gentiles. He was being a hypocrite, and Paul saw it, and, and it says this. But Paul says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. And that's the same word. He opposed him. Peter was, in essence, an, an enemy at that time, somebody who needed to be opposed. And so that's that language. And we also see it in 2 Timothy 3.8 where it says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Those were probably speaking about Egyptian magicians that opposed Moses uh, before the Exodus. But but that, that word, oppose, that's what this word resist is. So how should we resist? I think if you read Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18, which I'm not going to read, Maybe just took a summary of that. Some of some of the things we can see from that. Uh, we 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 resist the devil through praying, right? Through our prayers, we're active in praying. I mean, I would say that's probably the most neglected, but probably the most powerful. We we, we are active, actively praying. We are uh, obviously using the Word of God, right? That's why we try to we try to center everything we do on the Word of God. Prayer, the Word of God, the help of fellow believers. And this may not necessarily be in that text, but praise. When we praise God, we praise God for who He is. And we sing back to God His truth in the Word of God. I think that's actively resisting the devil. Obviously, the help of fellow believers within the local church, we come alongside one another, we lift one another up. All of these things, it's actively resisting the devil. And then in the book of James, he uses the same phrase. But listen to what James adds on. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise. He will flee from you. So there is victory, guys. It's not we're not, we're not resisting and just hoping we can have victory. There is victory in the Christian life for those who apply what the Word of God says. 
In this case, resisting the devil. We can also resist the devil. Again, it's not... It's, it's being active, okay? And so in this sense, we can resist the devil by, 1 Corinthians 6.18, fleeing temptation. So when you're tempted, you don't sit there and think about it and mull it over. You flee it. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee from greed. Uh, Actually, I got the the first one was 1 Corinthians 10.14 or 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee immorality. 1 Corinthians 10.14 Flee from idolatry. And then, and then 1 Timothy 6.11, flee from greed. And then the last one, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful lusts. So all of those are resisting as well. In other words, we are active. Resist, resisting means being active, being intentional. Okay, You don't just accidentally stumble into victory in the Christian life. No, you have to be active. You have to be on the alert. You have to know you have an enemy and you have to resist that enemy. Firm in your faith. This could have, this could have a subjective meaning or more of an objective, objective meaning, objective meaning. First of all, firm in your personal trust in God. Do you trust God, in other words? Do you trust God that we looked at last week that He cares for you? And that He will sustain you until the end. Because we persevere to the end by faith. Through faith. But I think this phrase, being firm in your faith, let's read it again. Resist Him, firm in your faith. I think this more has more of an objective meaning. Meaning not simply our personal faith that we have, but in our doctrine, in our teaching. So in a, in a in a set of truths. This is firm in your faith. What's going to protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy, guys? It's going to be more than our personal faith. It's going to be the truth. We put on the truth. You think of Christ in the wilderness when the devil would tempt Him. What would He do? Come back with truth. That's the idea. Firm in your faith. These doctrines of truth. I think we can see it in a couple passages. Galatians 1.23 These were the churches in Judea that Saul of Tarsus used to persecute. And they, and they said this, He who persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Meaning, the truth. And in Jude 3, the passage you probably all know, very powerful passage, Jude was going to write this letter about the common salvation, but there were false teachers coming in, so he says this, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. That faith means this: the whole body of revealed salvation truth contained in the Scriptures. The essentials of the Christian doctrine. That's the faith. And I believe that's what Peter's saying. Resist the devil. Firm in your faith. Firm in those truths of the Gospel. Of the Word of God. That's how we defeat the enemy. He brings lies. We fight it with truth. We stand firm. We stand on the solid rock of truth. To stand solidly on the truth without compromise. And that's something you have got to... Again, it's, it's being sober in spirit. It's being disciplined. That that is going to be a priority in my life. I'm going to stand on this truth. Maybe I don't get to watch my favorite TV show today because I have got to be in the Word of God. I have got to get my mind where it needs to be. But it's prioritizing your life. Gird your loins with truth, Ephesians 6 says. We fight with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So that, those are, these are some ways that we have victory over our adversary. And fourthly and lastly, in the second half of verse 9, be comforted, God is in control. Okay, Be comforted, 
God is in control. So first of all, be spiritually disciplined. Secondly, know your enemy. Thirdly, resist your enemy. Fourthly, be comforted because God is in control. In verse 9, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Peter here is seeking to encourage his readers here by reminding them that their circumstances are not unusual. They're not alone in it. They're not the only ones, but are normal for Christians in different places of the world. You're not alone. What did he say in in verse 12 in chapter 4? Remember? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, right? The fiery ordeal which we discovered a few verses later in verse 14, being reviled for the name of Christ, being persecuted. Don't think it strange. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. You're not alone. This is normal. Christ warned His disciples. This is going to happen. They hated me. They're going to hate you. Be ready. And so it's some of the same language. He's seeking to encourage them here by reminding them that they're not the only ones. That all Christians, what? Who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not some, all. All who desire to live godly, you're going to, not everybody's going to face the same type or on the same level, but there's going to be some kind of pushback from the world. 1 Corinthians 10.13 in, in, a, in a similar way, talking about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So when you're tempted, don't think I'm the only one. Satan wants you to think that. You're alone. You're the only one. And, and, and this phrase, and I believe this phrase is only in the New American Standard. Um, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren. That phrase just means to bring to an end. To, to complete. To finish. And, and the best way I could... It was really a, a, a difficult phrase to, to get my mind around to communicate, but I think it's just simply saying the experiences of suffering as we... What have we seen in First Peter? That God uses suffering in the believer's life to purify us. Right? To purify us. To test us. To mold us into the image of Christ. And so, and so these things are being accomplished. As believers are suffering persecution, they're being, they're being purified. They're, they're being made into the image of Christ. And so I think that we can take comfort in this verse by being reminded that God is in control. That when we suffer, and we can see in a large part who is the root of this suffering, that we have an adversary, the devil, who, who, who is behind this persecution, but that in the end, God is sovereign over our suffering. All of it. And He uses it for our good. That's what we've been seeing. We're going to see that in verse 10 next week. Remember, remember we've been seeing the pattern here, just like Christ, suffering and then glory. We're going to see that finishing up the, the book next week. But God's in control, guys. He uses Suffering for our good. And just think, even you can't lose. Think about a, a believer that we hear about. We think about being executed maybe in another country for their faith. Did he lose? He didn't lose. He's in glory now. And so I'm going to read, I'm going to read uh, a third section of this that, that is very applicable to what we just looked at in our doctrinal statement. The devil operates today as the God, little g, of this world and the prince of the power of the air. And yet Martin Luther accurately said, the devil is God's devil. God rules over Satan without himself being guilty of sin. We can be certain that whatever we suffer from the devil, that's the context here, 
Whatever we suffer from the devil and his demons is not arbitrary or purposeless, but will ultimately lead to our blessing and God's glory, which we'll see next week in verse 10. The devil's doom is sure. He is defeated foe. Like the song said, one word shall fail him. I think I said that right. One word. He's a defeated foe. Christ is going to speak and He's going to be sentenced to the lake of fire forever. He shall be cast into the lake of fire, the eternal place of punishment that God has prepared for the devil and his demons. Knowing that we fight not against mere flesh and blood of simple mankind, but against the devil and his demons as well, we stand firm against the wiles of the devil in the omnipotent power of the Lord's might. We put on the whole armor of God. We take up the sword of the Spirit and we march to evangelistic war with unceasing prayer knowing that all those whom Christ died for and pronounced tetelestai, it is finished, on the cross, they, they will be rescued from their sin and from Satan's lies. For Christ has conquered sin, conquered death, and as we read about earlier, crushed the serpent's head. So what God prophesied in Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled at the cross and through His resurrection and will ultimately be fulfilled when Christ returns. So we do serve a, or, or we do have a very real, He's not a myth, He's not an idea, He's a very real enemy. And He has millions of helpers. And we've got to be on alert. We need to be on alert. But He is a defeated foe. We have to be on alert. Amen? And so, for any who do not know Christ, any, any, anybody who does not know Jesus Christ, has to understand this, that your father is the devil. That's the clear teaching from Scripture. That you're either a child of God through faith in Christ, via adoption, or you're still a child of the devil. And, and, and just know this. Because I know, we, we know how the world thinks, right? Yeah, I serve the devil and he's cool and I'm going to party it up with the devil in hell. The devil hates you as an unbeliever. And he came to kill, he came to steal, and he came to destroy. That's who he is. And he's a liar. He doesn't tell the truth. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. But Christ came to give you life. The devil wants unbelievers to think that he came to give them life for their, for their good. He looks out for them. But the devil, again, he is a liar and deceiver. He is a defeated foe. We, we read about his fate. And, and the reality is that if you follow the devil, your fate's going to be the same. You're going to follow Him to that very place that was created for the devil and his angels. And so the appeal is always that if you want to live and you want life, you need to look to Christ, the author of life. The way, the truth, and the life. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And He did so on the cross. He pronounced, it is finished. He paid the sin debt in full. He rose again from the dead demonstrating that the Father accepted His sacrifice and now He tells sinners to come to Him. Like we were preaching at the bus station yesterday, come to Me. That's the, that's the message. Come to Christ. Repent of your sin. Trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. And He promises that whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. And Christ is not a liar. He is the truth. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your truth. Lord, we thank You for Your truth and, and, and it helping us to understand who our enemy is and how we can stand against Him. Lord, we thank You for, your, for the faith that we stand firm in, Lord, the, the, the truth of Your Word, the truth of the Gospel, sound doctrine, Lord the truth that sets us free. 
Father, I pray for everyone in here, Lord, that we'll be aware as we as we go throughout the week, God, that we'll be aware that we really do have a real live adversary who hates us. Father, that we'll have a healthy mindset, a healthy view of our adversary, that he is powerful, Lord, but he is not all-powerful. That he roams around, and so he's not omnipresent, but that he does have helpers. So, Father, help us to discipline our life. Help us to prioritize our life, God, to set our life in order, spiritually speaking, Lord, so that we can <clears throat> continually be aware, that we can t- continually be on the offensive and taking the gospel to this world, Lord, and not walling around in the mud pen, um, being defeated in our sin, Lord, but that we can live a victorious life. And you have, you have provided that for us, God. And we thank You for it. We thank You for our Savior and our Lord who rose from the dead. And it's, it's Him we worship today, Lord. In Christ's name, Amen.